All right, Hebrews chapter 7, we're trudging along through this, uh, this letter to the Hebrews, chapter 7, verses 23 through 28, a little bit shorter today, and uh, I'll read this and we'll pray and then we'll uh, break it down uh, for a few moments. Are you guys awake? Yep. Yes. I know it's cold. It was tough to get up, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. All right, starting with verse 23, the writer says, the former priests were many in number, Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Sort of a Captain Obvious (laughs) statement. But he, speaking of Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, uh, to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sin, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and for those, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all. Let's say that together. Once for all. Hang on to that. When he offered up himself, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning, and uh, thank you for this space that we can gather together. Uh, Speak to us through uh, your word today. Uh, Challenge us with new things and uh, remind us of things that we have forgotten and it's in your name that we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. So I'm, it's probably very easy for you if I said, I want you to go back through the years that you've lived, and I want you to write down or name or call out things that you thought years and years ago that would just be around forever. But they're not anymore. Like, they just went away. Like, it could be clothing, a band that you just thought, this is it. Uh, could be a neighborhood that you lived in, just a thing that was in your life, a job. You thought it would be around forever. And then it wasn't anymore. You got it? Okay. I made a list, very short list. These are just things that I thought would be around forever. I have some pictures to help us out here. The first one, of course, is this place. Uh, Blockbuster. Anybody? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a Blockbuster video somewhere in a box in a closet that I have not returned yet. But hey, the last one just closed down. Like, it, I won. I won. I always get a little worried about my background check when I leave summer camp every year. Like, that's going to come up. Like, <laughs> Battlestar Galactica, 1984. So, uh, this, the Sony Walkman. When you, anybody have this when they were young? Okay. Carl, I know you had it, man. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I love this thing because, like, I, again, I thought, well, that's, you can take your music with you. And it didn't weigh 15 pounds, you know? And uh, what, was, what was your favorite cassette? Anybody got a favorite cassette that you just like wore out in the Walkman? Anybody? Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> was not expecting Rick Springfield, but that's okay. Anybody else? No, no, no. That's good. We have. No, no. The cars, very good. Yeah. One more. This section, anything? Too young over here? This section, too young? OMD? Chicago. We could do this all day, couldn't we? 
Uh, the one I wore out was uh, Beastie Boys License to Ill. Played it so much it started playing slow, you know what I mean? Just wore it out. Couldn't even read the songs on the sides anymore. It's so fantastic. Uh, now, this one might be a lightning rod, but I really thought this would be around forever, but uh, the show Friends, that was really... I think it was more of a hope that it would be around forever. And, uh, hey, I mean, Will and Grace is back on. Why can't they just, uh, you know, these resurrection TV shows are happening. Uh, and for the locals, I this one was more of just a sad situation when uh, Dante's closed. Anybody? Got a few fans here. So if you're not familiar with Dante's, it's been in Atlanta for many, 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 many years. And uh, this was up next door to our old church. And uh, they had a jazz room. And so my wife and I, like for date night, we would, uh, I say date night like that was every week. But when we would go on a date, it would be at night and uh, we would, but you could pay money just to get into the jazz room and eat dessert and coffee. And that's what we would do. It was so much fun. Um, But then... Uh, they sold out, so uh, they closed. Uh, that's that. Very sad about that. He was 90. It's true. He was, yeah. So, but he's not thinking about us. I never actually understood, just as a side note, this is free, it's not in my notes, but like, fondue restaurants are so expensive, but I'm doing the cooking. Like, I don't. It's so expensive, and they just bring you a bunch of raw, wet food, and they're like, go for it. That's it. $100. Yeah, so things go away. Now, some things have been around so long, you start to wonder if they're immortal. And uh, maybe like this guy. I just keep thinking, like, (laughs) when is Keith Richards going to pass away, you know? Uh, yeah, it is true what they say. Like we, we all as a society have got to start thinking quite deeply about what kind of world we're going to leave behind for Keith Richards. Like that's, <laughs> it's definitely, we've, we've got to get it together. You can look back on the years of your life and see all kinds of closings. Um, the neighborhood you used to live in or relationships that you've had that you no longer have, uh, jobs that you once loved, um, Things like that, people that you trusted, all closed down. A faith maybe that used to be a little bit more robust, seems like it's closing. The temporal nature of life is very, very real. But there is this one thing that seems to stick around, and this is what our passage is getting at today. There's this one thing that has a tenaciousness to it, and it can hang on really, really well. And what it is, is this, it's this growing list. I say growing because it's always increasing and growing. But it's this growing list of mistakes, bad decisions, and outright terrible things that we've done. That thing always seems to stick around. Uh, it, it lives, those, those things that we've been through, it's hard to forget about because they live in a corner of our brains. And it doesn't help that there's people in your life that see it as their calling to make sure that you never forget. Their spiritual gift is uh, guilt. If we are a people who desire forgiveness and things like fresh starts, the struggle to move move on past our past, it can really be difficult. And it can create an almost neurotic system of sacrifice and redemption, always trying to make things right. And it's into that that our writer speaks today. 
this passage speaks words of encouragement and hope and charity. And I want us to look at this just for a moment. The setting of this is interesting. I said this a few weeks ago as we started through Hebrews, but this particular document was written to what we call second-generation Christians. These are people who didn't know Jesus. They probably didn't even know anybody who knew Jesus. They're kind of like us. They're getting together and hoping the story is true. They don't have any experience, firsthand, real-world experience with the stories that they're putting their faith and trust in. And that creates a kind of faith a weakness in the faith. Jesus even says this to his disciples post-resurrection. He says, blessed are you because you've seen me and you believe, but more blessed are those who have not seen and will believe. It's almost like Jesus understands that you and me have it way more difficult than Peter, James, and John, and so on, because they were at least with him. They got to witness these things firsthand, but you and me, no. So we're very similar to the audience that's getting this letter uh, that we call the Hebrews. Faith is slipping. Now their faith isn't slipping in God, but in forgiveness and grace. It's very particular. Their, their faith is slipping in the idea that they have been forgiven once for all, as the writer says. Specifically in the belief that Christ's death somehow became a sacrifice uh, that took care of all the brokenness in the human condition for all times. Now it's a great idea, And there are days when we really lean into that. And then there are days like these early recipients of this letter where they have doubts in that. And what this caused them to do, because again, most of these, almost 99% of all Christ followers in the first century are Jewish people. So they they come into the Jesus-following thing with a long history of religion and sacrifice and beliefs and scriptures And so what's happening with this particular audience is that they are slipping back. They're drifting back into familiar ways of thinking about forgiveness, which is I have to keep offering sacrifices. I have to keep going and doing this thing. Thus the reason for all of the priest's images in the letter. It's also the reason it's called Hebrews, because they're drifting back into that Hebrew way of thinking. So it's helps us understand. The writer uses the priests as this image of that fear that they're having. So let's just look at a couple things here. It says, uh, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Again, it's a very obvious thing. But really, since the days of Aaron, Moses' brother, these priests are born into the priesthood, these Levite priests And their job is to offer daily sacrifices on behalf of themselves, but also on behalf of the people of Israel. And they did this every single day. Every single day. And for an outside reader, and other nations for sure are thinking, is your God forgetful? Like, do you have to keep offering these sacrifices? Does the sacrifice only have like a 24-hour shelf life? Is that what's happening? Or... Were these people just that routinely terrible? So whatever the case was in terms of like why they did these sacrifices every single day, it's not entirely clear in the Bible. But the practice was, above and beyond anything, this continuous reminder of the need for grace and mercy. And also a reminder that brokenness continues to exist in the world. But the writer uses the temporary nature of the priests, because they're replaced again and again and again, 
he uses that to talk about the temporary nature of the sacrifice. He's making a bold statement about the days were always numbered for those sacrificial things. Now, when Jesus died, the writer says that it was once and for all. I love in Matthew's gospel, it says that when Jesus died, that the temple curtain was torn in two. No explanation is given to that in Matthew's gospel. It just says it was torn in two. Did it happen miraculously? Did people run in there and tear it apart? Is it, a, is it just a metaphor? Like, we don't know. He just says the temple curtain tore in two. But for those familiar with the temple, understand that this curtain that Matthew is speaking of is the curtain that separated the holiest of places in the temple from the rest of the temple. So whether it tore apart literally or metaphorically, the truth comes through, which is access to God is open for all. As well, the system of the temple is being dismantled. So the death of Jesus, and of course the resurrection later, accomplishes a lot of things. But even before the resurrection, there's this message that things have changed. That this repeated day after day system of sacrifice, and really of moral neurosis, is over. The ending of a system. It's why Christians in ancient Roman Uh, literature are often referred to in the first, second, and third century as atheists because they have no temple practice. You can't be religious if you don't offer sacrifices and you don't have a temple. You can't be religious. You have no God. It's not even evident in your practices. But Jesus is said to have died for the sins of the world once and for what? All. For all people who have done all the things at all times. Now, I don't know how that works. I'm just a pastor. But God apparently does. And I just love that the writer speaks into this fear among these first readers of like always having that need to, you know, sacrifice to God to keep coming back and saying, we need to keep doing these things because we're not quite confident that you have forgiven us or that we can live in light of your grace. We just feel like we owe you something. And the writer just says, you don't owe anything. What was owed, Christ paid. And verse 28, I just love, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son, speaking of Jesus, who has been made perfect forever. The word I want you to see here is this word perfect. Say that word, perfect Now, this word comes up a lot in the New Testament, and it can be confusing because when we hear perfect, what do you think of? Perfection. Thank you. (laughs) It's very easy. (laughs) You can tell it's an aspen tree because of the way it is. Um, uh, You can Google that later. It's quite hilarious. (laughs) But when we see the word perfect, and there are other texts that say this, like, be perfect as I am perfect. I mean, these crazy commands that we read we don't quite understand but the word there is comes from the root word telos or telu here a perfection a perfect made perfect and that word simply means completed uh, arrived accomplished homer uses it in his writings to speak of things that have been 
accomplished, a sense of finishing, the end goal. And the telos, Paul uses the telos word quite a bit to talk about personal formation. It is the goal that we have in our lives to be like Christ, and that is the telos of our life. That's where we're headed. That's the trajectory. That's the path. And so to be perfect is to reach that place of completion. Now, the problem with that is that nobody can, we just can't do it. We keep failing. We keep running into things that are vices. It's difficult for us to be perfect. In fact, it's not even possible. And so there's a great thing going on here where the writer says, Jesus has done that for us. He has been made perfect forever. That in him we have found our end result. It doesn't mean we're not trying to grow in the ways of Jesus, of course. But that's never going to be perfected in this lifetime. And it's also a tracer to what's really important to Jesus. Which is not our past, but our future. Amen? Like it's about the thing that we're shooting for, not the thing that we keep screwing up with. Uh, I meant to have a picture of this for you, but sorry, I couldn't find it. But I used to be thin. And, um, you know, I had this, like, high school running picture. And uh, one year at state meet, um, our competitors were Westminster High School here in Atlanta. And we just went head-to-head every state meet every year. And um, we got on the line, starting line. This is, like, 1989. So uh, we got on the line. I don't know why I gave you the date. But... uh, Gun goes off, and within a minute or so, all of us in the front, I know, I know, all of us in the front are thinking without speaking, this is too fast. And then we come out of the woods for the first mile, and they have the clock there at the first mile mark. Now, I wasn't looking at it, but I heard my friend say, damn it! (laughs) And I looked up. And the clock was turning around 440 on the first mile. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with cross country, that's too fast. (laughs) It's too fast. It's 1989. It's really too fast. (laughs) It's too fast. And for my friend, that was the end of it. I mean, there's two miles to go, but in his head, that was it. He could not run the next mile without leaving the previous mile. He just kept like, why did we do that? I can't believe it. He's grumbling the first quarter mile, the next mile, just like this and that and the other. And he's done because he couldn't get out of that mile. It was just such a mistake. And it was a mistake. We made a lot of mistakes and that, you know, and we paid for it for sure. But you know what? The thing is, and I think it's like this with any sport, uh, you just have to, you have to run the next mile. Are you with me on that? I love watching golf on TV, and it's like to be that amazing for three or four straight days just has to be so stressful. And every professional has a terrible hole. And some don't make it to the next hole without just falling apart because they've played a bad hole. But the best, the best of the best walk to the next tee box and go, it's a new hole. I can't replay it. Are you with me on that? I cannot go back and run that mile again. I can't play that hole again. I can't do that job I used to have again. I can't refix that, fix that relationship I used to have. I cannot go back and do that. 
But there is a promise that I can go forward and play the next thing, work the next job, do my best in the next relationship. And when it comes to faith, I can just keep trusting that Jesus is calling me forward and not pushing me backwards. Amen? Amen. And that's what the writer is saying. Don't go back there. Let's walk forward confident in God's grace. And I know that it's easy for us. We may roll our eyes at an ancient people who worried about such things, but we too share those same fears. I think for some of you, you wouldn't be in this room if you didn't share those fears. That even coming to church is like your sacrifice because you feel like God is watching you in that kind of way and that you just need to be present. But in this passage, we are challenged to think about our past, which may or may not be extremely broken, we're challenged to think about our past the way that God does, which is with this strange kind of amnesia. He just kind of forgets. I don't know how he does that. Maybe it's just the only word we can put to it. When the scripture, writers of the scripture say this about God, that he can forget about our past, like maybe he really doesn't, but like he, that's just the best word we can think about. Well, that's the word he gives the writers, like just, I forget it. You can move forward. I'm not holding your past against you. But you can walk forward into the life that God calls you to live. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And in Christ we have been set free once for all. In a moment we'll take the communion together after we have some quiet reflection and the communion is an interesting thing because in the system into which the writer was writing these Hebrew people, the gathering of the people was a sacrifice, offering sacrifices, doing sacrificial things. But the church slowly developed into a place that was no longer of sacrifice, but simply a gathering that reminds us of a sacrifice. That when you are handed the communion today, it doesn't remind you of any sacrifice that you have made. Yes, I know you got up and you got here. Great. You're amazing. (laughs) But it doesn't remind you of any kind of sacrifice that you have made. But it reminds you of the sacrifice that Christ has made for you.